So you can open your Bible to the Song of Solomon, Wichlit. After the Psalms, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7, and it will appear on the screen. But you might want to open your Bible there because I might point out one or two other verses in the book. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 7. Wichlit 2, verse 7. So let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, as we draw near to you, I am once again aware of how little we are and how little our thoughts about God is. Or our thoughts are. Lord, we just sang about how majestic you are. And yet my, in my mind, I have such a small view of you, Lord. What do we truly understand about the majesty of God? Even an earthly ruler or king, if we were to come before a, an earthly king and understand something of the riches and the majesty of a human king, how much more the majesty of the Messiah, the majesty of the Christ of God, Jesus, our Lord, the majesty of the Son of Man, the majesty of the eternal Son of God, the majesty of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God, creator of the universe, and you before whom the universe is as a speck of dust, for you are the infinite God, no beginning and no end, the eternal one, the one who inhabits eternity, the one who does not have a past or a future, but simply is. We bow before you, most high Lord of glory, and pray that you would now speak and give us an ear and ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In Jesus' name, Amen. So, romantic relationships, interpersonal problems. We're continuing the series. In 1997, Joshua Harris wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Almost immediately it became a bestseller book. And uh, basically the idea in the book is that he says courtship is biblical, dating is unbiblical, and almost like you, it's almost, it's, it borders on, it might even be a sin if you date and don't do courtship. Courtship would be going out in a group, going out with a chaperone, someone with you, you're never alone, and so on. Rick Holland, uh, one of the co-pastors at Grace Community Church, a pastor with John MacArthur, Rick Holland preached a sermon against that book. I listened to the sermon, and he said that it's not sin to date. It is not sinful. There's no verse in the Bible that says dating is sinful. Twenty years later, Joshua Harris denied everything he wrote in that book. Uh, and he said that, he, I'm very sorry that I hurt many people and that I ever published that book. And it caused great harm to Christians and so on and so forth. And not long after that, uh, some years after that, Joshua Harris left the Christian faith. And said, I deny that I'm a Christian. I do not believe the gospel. I do not believe Christianity is true. He left his wife. And a few months after that, 
he took part in an LGBT pride parade in Canada. Just to say to the gays, I'm so sorry for saying that your lifestyle is sinful. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about romantic relationships? And I'm not talking about married people. I'm talking about dating and so on. What does the Bible say about that? Now, I want you to please, when you hear this sermon tonight and, and the teaching tonight, please take what I'm about to say and you measure it against the Bible. You don't just accept what I say because my word is not law. God's word is law. And so you take the Bible like good students of Scripture and you say, is what he is saying tonight in line with the Bible? If not, reject it. If so, accept it and obey it. So, Song of Solomon 2 verse 7 on the screen. I adjure you, ek in Afrikaans. I put you under an oath, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or does of the field, this boka, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So, first of all, if we can look at romantic relationships from a biblical standpoint, keep yourself and that we'll find in this verse. Romantic love is like fire. Is fire a good thing? It can be, if you like to braai. <laughs> fire is a good thing if you have it in your fireplace in your house in the winter. But if you make the fire outside the fireplace on your carpet, right there by the curtains, it's not a good thing. And that's what romantic love is like. If it's outside the fireplace, it brings destruction. If it's outside of marriage, well, that's what we find here. Here's a bride, and she's talking to other women. And she's telling these other women, I put you under oath. I adjure you. I want you to make me a promise, she's basically saying. Promise me that you will remain pure. That you will be pure and keep yourself pure for marriage. Now that can only happen if you don't awaken love. If you don't awaken romance. If you don't awaken your hormones. Before, the, before uh, time is ready for marriage. Because otherwise what you're going to do, all your moral values, you'll just chuck it out the window. Because now your hormones have taken over. You're not thinking with your mind. You're not thinking in line with God's word anymore. Now you're thinking with just, I want this woman, or I want this man. And so many people, many young people, and not only young people, but many people, they make the fire outside the fireplace, on the carpet, right there by the curtains, and they destroy their lives, and they do things that are stupid and foolish, and they do things they're sorry about later on. And they sow destruction you, you, uh, in different ways. You soil your conscience. You damage your own conscience. Because now you feel guilty about things. And you, you trash the other person's purity. And you trash your own purity. And you spread sexually transmitted diseases. And you destroy your relationship with the Lord. You're damaging your relationship with the Lord. And you're inviting God to discipline you. And you're damaging your Christian testimony. Because now you call yourself a Christian, but we live in ways that are sinful. And now, what testimony? What testimony have you got to go to other young people and now talk to them about Jesus? They're going to, who are you to talk, are you to, talk to me about Jesus? Look at your life. You want to tell me you're living just like we are. So what's the difference between you and between us? 
And then you're giving, you're giving the devil ammunition against Jesus and against the church. So keep yourself pure. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 to 7, he says, For this is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then he says you should control your body and you should uh, get your own wife or for the ladies, your own husband. Uh, God has called you to holiness, right? God has not called you to impurity. I remember my pastor. He's, he's preaching here in a month's time. He's going to preach here in the morning service. You're on Woodendale. But when I was in matric, just before I went off to studies, perhaps I was in the end of my matric year, and my pastor had me in his study at the church, and he gave me some advice uh, for the future, and he said to me, Ivor, keep yourself pure. And he was talking about sexually pure. Keep yourself pure. He warned me. And he told me about the three G's that pastor, pastors, actually he called it the three F's, that pastors must be aware of. Female, fame, and finance. Gold, girls, and glory. Be careful of their, those temptations in the ministry. Now, if you have all those resolutions, uh, you can have all those resolutions and they're not going to help. You can tell yourself, I'm going to remain pure. They're not going to help if you're going to do it in in your own strength, in the flesh, in your own power trying to do it. God wants you to do 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, where Paul prays for the Christians. He says, to this end, in other words, the second coming, Jesus is coming again. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God and Father, that He may make you to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, live like a Christian. That He may fulfill every resolve for good, and every work of faith by His power according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Or uh, actually before that he speaks of in the power of God. So you need to pray about this resolution. If you're going to say, I want to remain pure, you have to pray about it. Lord, help me. You have to be accountable. We'll get to that just now. That's important. You have to take action. You have to rely on God's strength, on God's power, on God's grace through prayer. And you need to aim at the glory of God. To say, I'm not doing this just so I feel good about myself and can brag, I remained pure until I was married. But to say, I want to honor God. And then here comes the account accountability. You see the, uh, this woman saying, you, you daughters of Jerusalem, you young woman, I want to talk to you. It's like she's saying, I want to hold you accountable. And that you can do too. Go to a friend and say to that friend, I give you permission to ask me straight, are you keeping yourself sexually pure? To ask me straight, how's it going? To ask me straight, are you doing things that your conscience is bothered about those things? And it's not in line with God's word. You're disobedient to the Bible. And in your answers to me, you can even tell the person that. In, in those answers you just gave me, did you tell any lies? <laughs> are you honest? Now why, why does she say, I adjure you at Basweriela, I adjure you by the gazelles. This is a springbok as a type of gazelle. By the gazelles and the does of the field. Now, the Afrikaans praat van takbokke en ribbokke. Partijvertaling. So, yeah, die oudvertaling, denk ek, praat van gemsbokke. Okay, so wat's a bok ook al? Dis bokke. En is oeie. Uh, in die Hebrews is dis vrouwelike naam. Okay, so, why is she making them swear or telling them, I want you to make me a promise. And make this promise by the antelope. By, by the bucks. <laughs> Who comes here and say that? 
I think there might be two reasons. And actually, she does that three times in the book. Three different times. This exact same verse. Why does she do that? Well, she's from the farm. Chapter 1, verse 6, she lives on a farm. Well, that's where she comes from. And so as a farm girl, she's seen many gazelles and many does. She uh, said, And it's like she's saying to these young girls, these young women, even the antelope in the field know there's such a thing as mating season. So in the animal world, there's mating season. They know there's a time when it's right for mating season. And the same, it's like she's telling animals, will you please tell these young girls there's such a thing with humans too? It's not called mating season, it's called marriage. So keep yourself pure for marriage. Don't awaken romance. Don't awaken love before you're not ready to be married. So if you're young and you're not ready for marriage, you're, in, you're 12 years old, don't awaken love and say, I've got this girl and we kiss and we hold hands. You're 12 years old. Now you see even preschoolers, grade R's. It's my Macy. Now I know what grade R's and grade 1's do. It's my Macy, but he never talks to her. He sends letters, love letters with his friend. And then if a girl looks at him, he runs away. <laughs> now I don't know if grade R's are like that anymore. Or grade 1's. Maybe not. Because of what they see on TV. So if you're too young and you're not ready for marriage, don't awaken love, don't have a girlfriend, don't have a boyfriend. And if you are old enough to be married, but you have no intention of being married. So no, I don't really want to get married. This is just fly-by-night. This is just for fun. I don't want to commit. Then maybe you shouldn't date. Maybe you shouldn't date. Because you're tempting yourself. You're awakening romance. Why do you want a girlfriend? Why do you want a boyfriend if you don't want to get married? Why? Just for convenience? Because it's nice? Or everyone's doing it? Or I don't want to feel lonely? Or maybe you want it because, hey, then at least we can be romantic. You can be romantic. You can be romantic. Uh, let me give you a quote. Rick Holland. Sex is God's wedding gift. He doesn't want it to be opened early. Now, maybe you say, no, but we don't want to go that far. We just want to kiss and then do a bit more than kissing. That's all we want. Well, actually, in the book Song of Solomon, kissing and touching is part of sex. You just read the book. You can see it for yourself. Here's a quote by Michael Lawrence. Maybe I should explain the quote more than just read it. So, he says here, Anything an unmarried couple does when they say, no, we're being romantic. We're just having a bit of romance and hormones, but we're not going to have sex. Everything they do, short of actual sexual intercourse, married people have a name for that. It's called foreplay. Now the unmarrieds want to say, no, we can do that, but just not, let any finale stop me. Just don't go the final step. So he says, the unmarried couple says, no, this is okay because it's not sex. The married couple says, this is great because it's part of sex. And then he says, those things that we read in the book of Sol Song of Solomon, the things we read of here, that unmarried couple say, no, that's just romance, it's not sex. 
He says, God created it like a highway. So a highway's got an on-ramp. That on-ramp, this is what people who are not married, many of them, we want to do this. We're not doing this. We want to just be on the on-ramp. Listen, you haven't got a license. And if you don't have a license, says Michael Lawrence, and you're not married, you can't have this, God didn't give this, why do you want to come onto the on-ramp and just stand there revving your car? The on-ramp is not made as a place for revving your car. It's to build up speed so you can get on the highway. So don't do those things that are actually forbidden because it's part of a sexual relationship. Now, according to the world, that's fine. According to the world, even according to the Dutch Reformed Church Synod, the Ingekaakse Synode, they've, they've got in their Synode, what they've over God in 2011 or 2012, they said it's fine for couples to live together even though they're not married. That is not fine. That is not fine. I remember in 2005, I came here as the pastor in 2004, and in 2005 we had a church discipline case. So this, the case was the guy was living, or the guy was sleeping with his girlfriend, and we found out about this, so we spoke to him, we had a number of conversations with the guy, and he would not repent, and eventually we removed him from the church. And people were very angry about that. Now, what is that? Not at his sin, at us, the elders, for removing the guy from church membership. And one guy wrote me an email and said, well, if there's a spark between these two, and there's at least they in love, why not try out sex just to see if it works for them? What? The Bible says no. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, you've had five husbands, now you are living with number six. He's not your husband. Jesus condemned that as sinful. Jesus didn't chase the woman away. He loved her and he brought the good news of salvation to her. But Jesus said it's wrong. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 9, if you burn with passion, Paul says it's better to get married than to burn with passion. Paul didn't say it's better just to move in together than burn with passion. He said, get married. And the same in 1 Corinthians 7, that course uh, read verse 36, where if your passions are strong and it has to be, let them get married, it's not sinful. It's not sinful if you get married. It is sinful if your passions burn and you say, I can't hold out any longer. I don't want to get married. I just want to do the stuff that married people do. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage should be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed should be undefiled. Don't defile, don't besmear, don't besmirch, don't make the marriage bed dirty by bringing in people from the outside or by having sex if you're not married. Because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Sexually immoral and adulterers, He makes a distinction sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage. Now someone will say, yes, but what if, we, what if we're just living together, but we're not sleeping together? Nice try. Like Steve Lawson says, I was born at night, but it ain't last night. <laughs> Another reason why I think she, she makes them promise by the antelope, by the oya, so it's like a book oya, why she makes them promise by the antelope, I think, is because of, in chapter 2, verse 10 and 13, you see the husband and wife at springtime, and they go for a romantic walk in the field. And then in chapter 7, verse 11 to 13, 
they do some kissing in the field. Serious <laughs> uh, romance. And this is between a married couple. Now, I think it's like she's saying, listen, young ladies, I'm calling these antelope to be witness against you on the judgment day. I'm calling them as witnesses to see what are you doing in the field. You're not married. So you're going for your romantic picnic. Is it just a picnic? Or is something else happening that shouldn't be happening? So even lifeless things might become witnesses against people on the judgment day, like couches and beds and cars. Uh, for instance, let's take a murderer, that lifeless things might witness against that murderer. For instance, blood on the carpet or fingerprints somewhere in the house. It may be a witness when the police come with their forensic searches and researches and all of that. They might find years evidence against the murderer from a lifeless thing. And so lifeless things may become evidence against you or living things like animals. So on the day of judgment. So if you are sexually immoral, then according to many verses in the Bible, Revelation 21 verse 8, the sexually immoral their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And I've got a number of verses here that say the same thing. That you will be judged by God if you live sexually immoral. And that is unnecessary. It's totally unnecessary to fall under God's judgment. Why? Because Jesus died for sinners. Jesus died to save also people who are sexually immoral, like the woman at the well. Five husbands, now she's living with number six, and Jesus saves her. Or in John chapter 8, a woman caught in the act of adultery. She's busy being sexually immoral. She's caught in the act. She's brought to Jesus, and Jesus says, go and sin no more. And so Jesus says, I do not condemn you. There's forgiveness. There's salvation. And a woman in Luke chapter 7. Here's a woman. She's a sexually immoral woman. And she comes, remember, she cries and she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and dries it with her hair. But she's forgiven. She loved Jesus very much. Why? Because she was forgiven so much. All the sins she has committed. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and this is not only for sexual immorality. This is for any person who is not saved yet. If you believe in Jesus, if you repent of your sin and turn to the Savior, He will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. He will throw your sin and cast it into the deepest sea. He will trample your sin under His feet. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. No more judgment because Jesus bore the punishment for sinners when He died on the cross. He will wash you. He will sanctify you. He will justify you. He will declare you not guilty, innocent, righteous because of Jesus Christ. Your sin He will nail to the cross. It's already nailed to the cross, but receive the salvation. All those who come to the Lord will find forgiveness. And when the evil one comes, and when your memory comes, and it reminds you of all those ugly things you did, before you were married. Why did I do that? Such a fool. Then you pray Psalm 25 verse 7. Lord, please do not remember the sins of my youth. All those things I did as a young man, as a young woman. Why? Please. And thank the Lord. Yes, you may whip yourself and condemn yourself. And I don't think it's right to keep on beating yourself up if you've repented. I remember saying that to an older pastor. 
I was a young pastor and I remember the sins of my, of my high school days and just after high school and I thought, why did I do such foolish things? And I was sitting with him and I was weeping about my sin of the past and he said to me, what has the past got to do with the present? If I've repented of that and been forgiven, why do I go back beating myself up about it? But if you have not repented of the past, then it's not past. Then it's still present. You have to repent. And then if you do, the Lord will say to you, as in Hebrews 10 verse 17, I will remember their sins no more. Number two, do not awaken love. Now we did a very stupid thing. I believe it was a stupid thing. We did a stupid thing seven years ago in this church. We had a singles bride. Now I'm not saying... We shouldn't try and help the singles find someone. But what were we thinking? Having the singles bride, we had, I think at that stage, nine or eight single, eight or nine single women in the church all wanted to be married. And there were no single men in the church. And then Olvain came. <laughs> so there were no single men in the church. And anyway, so we had this bride for them and we invited young single men from other churches so they can meet single men. And an older pastor said to me when I said, I said to him, do you have any single men in your church? And some of you remember that older pastor, Irving Steggles of Birchley Baptist Church. And I said, have you got some single men? We're having the singles bride. And he said to me, I hope it's not a matchmaking opportunity. And I didn't understand why, is he, why does he have a problem with that, that it's a matchmaking opportunity. But I think he was right. It's not just such a good idea. I'm not saying you can't invite single people, but we should be careful of that. We should be careful that we do not stir up romance and love and hormones uh, if these people, and especially I think the men sometimes drag their feet, they don't want to maybe commit or get married, um, Alright, so a question then. How, how do you make sure, if you're a single person, or maybe a parent to young children, or a grandparent to teenagers, or, or young people that are of marriable age, how do you make sure that you don't awaken love? That you don't stir up romance like here? Don't awaken it. Don't stir it up. I'm going to give you a number of pointers here. The first, first pointer to make sure you don't awaken this is don't date if you don't want to get married. If you say, no, I don't want to get married. Why are you dating? You're just giving yourself and the other person op opportunity to awaken love. Now, I don't mean, oh, marry the first person you meet. That's not what I'm saying. But what I do mean is don't treat dating as a game. Now, this is just fun. This is just a game. Don't treat it as a game because you can very, very easily awaken romance, awaken your hormones, awaken love. Another pointer is girls, don't talk about guys all the time. And guys, don't talk about girls all the time. And especially, don't talk about sexual things. You are just stirring yourself up unnecessarily. I remember when I was in high school, and I know this is what guys and girls do. You've got these girls and they're always talking about guys. And guys always talking about the girls. I remember a, a guy in high school 
he would often talk about girls but filthy things and ugly things. Now that is sinful in itself, but it's also disobedience to that verse. You are awakening romance. And you shouldn't do that. And then, another thing. Girls, don't encourage your friends. Go for that guy. And guys, don't encourage your friend. Get rid of friends who challenge you. I dare you. See if you can get that girl in bed with you. I dare you. See if you can get that guy to kiss you. Get rid of such friends. They are a bad influence. And then keep the physical, protect the physical aspect of a relationship and keep it for marriage. There's a man, and I won't mention his name, but there's a man that I know and most of you know. I think he was an excellent example of doing it right. He refused to have any physical contact with a woman before he got married to her. Because he said, I don't trust myself. Jeremiah 17 verse 9, deceitful is the heart above all things. You think, no, I'll be strong, I won't do I've heard people say that. I'll be strong, I won't do that. And then you do do it. You do what is sinful and wrong. So anything that stimulates you sexually, anything that tempts you to go further, don't do it. And then don't follow the, the culture's example. The culture tells you you must have a girlfriend when you're seven years old. So from this age you've got a girlfriend. And then eight years old and ten years old and thirteen years old of gets my girl. And fourteen years old. That's the cultural example. Now some people will listen to what I say tonight and say you're so narrow-minded. You're so narrow-minded. You've got young people and their hormones are running. And you expect everything to go smoothly. Do you know? Do you know what that young boy is doing with a girl when they're alone? What did you do at that age? You and that girl were alone. Or you and that guy were alone. And now we think, no, young people, they'll be fine. We can leave them somewhere alone. Uh, or even the young people sitting here. What is your conscience saying to you right now? Are you pure? Are you keeping yourself pure? Now, I'm not saying, please don't go out here and say, the pastor said dating is sinful. I did not say dating is sinful. And I don't believe dating is sinful. I'm just saying... We should ask ourselves the question, if it's stirring up romance, if it's stirring up sexual love, then you should ask yourself, is it wise? Listen to what Mark Chansky says. Couples at the beginning of the 20th century. Now kids, I hope you know your, your numbers. 20th century is the 1900s. Okay. So the beginning of the 1900s, couples would sit on the family porch. And they would talk and visit and so on. They ended the century alone at night in a private car. Fornication, sex for evil, use of contraceptives, forboot middles, illegitimate pregnancies, abortions have become tragically common. Ill-advised marriages, easy divorces, broken families have littered the landscape. 
Such is the spoiled harvest of the contemporary dating game. So if you treat dating as a game, instead of, no, dating is something we treat as, I'm ready to be married, I want to see, is this the person? We're getting to know each other. And there's no all funny kind of romance involved. And then another thing is stay away from dating websites. There are a number of things that's dangerous about dating websites. That person you meet online is not who the person really is. You haven't seen the person, you haven't spoken to the person, you do not know the person. You've got paper in front of you. And paper, sometimes people tell lies. It's, I saw it's called kitten fishing. Okay. Sometimes they tell lies about how tall they are and what they weigh and what they look like and what they do. And there are even married people who go onto those websites and they don't tell you they're married and you meet them and you date them. Another problem with online dating is online dating is self-focused. What's the whole point of online dating? The whole point of online dating, dating is who can I find? It's all about you. Where a biblical relationship is not who can I get for myself, it's what kind of person can I be? The right kind of person that God wants me to be also for the other person I meet. And furthermore, there's no accountability with online dating. In a normal relationship, you've got accountability toward your parents. There's accountability to other, mature, to other Christians, mature Christians. With online dating, you alone in a room on a computer screen. And you're checking who do you want and what do you want. Another thing is, no, moet ek nou weer my Engels help. Die hele ingesteldheid is verkeerd. The whole approach is, is wrong with online dating. How does a normal relationship work? A normal relationship, people meet each other, they become friends, and then they become romantically interested in one another. That's normal. With online dating, it doesn't work like that. The very point of it is, I want to be romantic. I want someone to be romantic with. And then online dating, it breaks that verse. That verse says, don't awaken love until it pleases. Online dating is, I want love and I want to awaken it now. Another thing with online dating is you can very easily have more than one relationship at a time. Very easy. To say, I'm interested in this person and that person and we're chatting to this one, that one, that one. And so you're dating several people at a time. And that's bad. You're training yourself for disaster in the future. And then something else that happens is, is it's, it's a continual thing where you, you're always on the lookout for someone better. Because now that person's profile fits me better. We got more in common. Which is nonsense anyway. We got more in common. And then another thing, a final thing that online dating, the way it breaks uh, and is, a, is not in line with verse 7 there, is that verse tells us, daughters, don't you stir up love. The normal thing. Now the old people will agree and some of the young people might not quite know what is right. But we know that the man should be the one to do the hunting. To say, I'm looking for a wife. It's not wrong for a wife to desire a husband or a woman to desire a husband. It's not wrong for this woman to say, I'm interested in that guy. But the man should be the one pursuing it. But now, online dating, the woman can do it. She can pursue it. Who do I want? Where do I? Are you interested? And that kind of thing. 
Now again, you might say, oh, you old school, that's not how it works anymore. That's biblical. That's biblical for the man to initiate. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, the man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. So he's pursuing this woman. Or you find Isaac uh, in Genesis 24, you've got Abraham sending his servant, and he says, I want you to go and find a wife for my son Isaac. Now, there might be some people, and they're going to tell, tell, tell me, but what about Ruth? Ruth went to the threshing floor, and she went to where Boaz was, and she said, you're next in line. Legally, you can get married to me. So what do we say about that? Well, actually, it wasn't Ruth initiating that. Actually, it was the living parent, because there was no Elimelech. This was the mother-in-law, Naomi. She said to Ruth, put on your perfume, dress yourself up, and there was a law in Israel, in Deuteronomy 25, that when a woman's husband dies, then the closest family member, the brother, but if there's no brother, the closest family member should marry that woman so that the family name does not die out. That's what Naomi was doing. She was saying to Ruth, we've got that law, and that's a way that God helps widows and cares for widows, and that's also a way then for the family name to not die out. Now, some people say, no, there were, there were sexual things going on there. That is not true. You go and read the blog. I've got, a little, I've got a little link there in one of the footnotes. You click on that. It's a short article. You read it. Excellent. That proves there was nothing sexual going on there. That was just the law of Israel. And he even says to her, he even says to Ruth, uh, don't go away now. Just lie here for the night. Why? Because he wants to do something sexual? No, because it's the days of the judges, says Ruth 1 verse 1. That is a day where you go out alone as a woman at night, you will get raped. So he was kind to her. He was protecting her to not send her out. There's nothing sinful going on there. Another thing for the single people, do not be alone in a car late at night sitting there for hours, or in a room with a closed door, or just alone. No, I'm at my girlfriend's flat, just her and I. Now, I know, I know there are some people who can control themselves. I know there are people who can say, but we're not doing anything sinful, and they're honest, and their conscience is not bothering them, and so on. But, just be wise. Just be wise. So that you are not tempted. Joseph, when that woman tempted him, Potiphar's wife, he refused to even be with her, says Genesis 39, verse 10. Sleeping hormones, you'll awake them. You'll wake them up. And then girls, this can go for guys too, but I think especially girls, do not dress immodestly. Do not dress in such a way that men struggle to look away from you. Because you are tempting men and you attracting the wrong kind of men. And then I think a final thing here, uh, not the final point of the sermon, but a final thing under this point is keep your mind busy with 
good things with work. Do your work and serve other people and fill your mind with God's word and fill your mind with good things. Don't allow yourself to daydream about boys, about young men. Don't allow yourself to daydream about girls. Because where's the daydreaming going to go? You're stirring up this thing. You're stirring up the romance. Don't read books, flip through magazines, watch movies, or listen to music that stirs up romance, that stirs up these desires. Where do you want to get your idea from? Where do you want to get your idea from about what is a good man and what is a good woman? Where do you want to get that idea from? Not from Hollywood. You want to get it from the Bible. Not from soap operas. Or from even Karen Kingsbury. Yeah, it's a Christian author, but it's always a bit romantic, this. My wife told me this. I don't read Karen Kingsbury. And she told me, oh, it's not so good. Uh, or Hollywood. Hollywood. Nee. Or Hallmark. It's all romantic. And it's, don't get your idea. you got a wrong idea. This guy's going to come riding on a white horse, Prince Charming. That doesn't happen. It's not real. Walt Disney, it's not real. You meet him today, you get married tomorrow. It's not the real world. That is unrealistic. That is fictional. That is fairy tale. I have to read this quote to you. Please bear with me. This is the fairy story. It goes something like this. Dwight Harvey Small says, I'm a very attractive and lovable person. Fascinating. Desirable in every way. But I managed to go unnoticed for a long time. The reason for that was the one and only person in the universe didn't show up. Did not come my way. There was one made just for me and for no other. And at the right moment, he came into my life. Then he appeared. In that moment, our eyes met and I knew he was for me. You've heard this. All soppy, soppy. He was my dream, my inspiration. He had everything. He was tall, tan, terrific. We kissed and I knew I could not live without him. This was love because there was the tingling excitement all over. Nothing mattered now except that we were together. How could anything else be important but this? We would live only for each other in perfect bliss. I live in it for you. It was That's rubbish. There could be no reason to wait a moment longer with his scintillating sense of humor. I knew we would never disagree about anything. <laughs> oh my, it's the married people laughing. <laughs> oh goodness. Our love for each other would hurdle all obstacles as though they were nothing, bound together by the hand of faith. We must obey and marry before it's too late. You dare not put off love, for it might die if not acted on right now. And so they married and lived happily ever after in the, delight, in the delightful ecstasy of marital bliss. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful nonsense. That does not work. It doesn't work that way in real life, RP. <laughs> Everything is not going to be milk and honey, manskein and rosa. Just be a normal person. Get to know the person, become friends, before you just pursue a romantic relationship. 
I want to encourage you. Go back to that sermon I preached last year. Choosing the right marriage partner. Go back to that sermon. And read it again or listen to it again. And if you are convinced, or your parents are convinced, and other committed Christians are convinced, that's the right person. Then get married. What are you waiting for? Get married. If you're going to put this off too long, I'm almost done, guys. If you're going to put this off too long, you're going to postpone this thing for too long, then one of two things is going to happen. Either that girl is going to say, I want someone who's serious. Or that guy's going to say, I want someone who's serious. I don't want someone who's going to play games, just want to play this dating game, and it's going to lacker eight, going to lacker date, but they're not serious about a commitment. That's the one on the one end. Or on the other hand, you're going to fall into sin. Because you're just putting this off and putting this off and putting... So parents, can I ask the parents here, please encourage your sons or encourage your daughters. If they've met the right person, get married. And parents, if you're going to withhold them from one another and you know that's a Christian girl, this is a Christian man, and they do love each other and... This is a good match, and you withholding it for some reason, no, you must first do this or first do that, you are tempting them. You are putting them in a position where their passions are strong, and they might and do something that you didn't want. And on the other hand, I think you should have the guts as a parent to tell your child, verse 7, you stirring up love before it pleases, this is not the right time, not the right place, not the right girl, this is not going to work. You should have the guts to tell your son that or to tell your daughter that. Because if you as a parent say nothing, you are co-responsible. If they get married, they're married for six months and then they get divorced. You knew it wasn't the right girl. Or you knew it wasn't the right man. And then you should say something as a parent and not say, I don't want to hurt my child. You are going to hurt them if you say nothing. So let the relationship develop spontaneously né? until love pleases. Spontaneous development of the relationship. You help your children. They don't think you have brains. You know you've got life experience. You can see through things as a parent. And you know the Bible, I hope, as a parent. You show them from Scripture what God says. Now for some I want to say, you need to tell your children, verse 7. You need to tell them, Die perskus is nog groen, jy druk het ruip. Het gaan nie werk nie. Moenie die hormone, don't awaken the hormones, don't awaken the romance. And for some of you, you have to tell your children, why are you dragging your feet? Get married. You've met the Christian woman, or you met the Christian man. What are you waiting for? Get married. Don't let the devil convince you that nah, dating is the same as marriage. It's not the same. It's not the same. I remember my dad giving me advice. So Deirdre and I, I lived in Nelspreet, Deirdre lived in Kenton Park. Uh, she was studying and I was a, the youth pastor at the Baptist Church. And so my dad and I are driving in the car. Now Deirdre and I, there was a stage where oh, this is not working like because she's far and ugh, I don't know. And she kind of thought the same and then we would break up and make up and make up and break up. And then my dad said to me, my schoonmaat my opgetune. She also gave me a speech and it worked. But my dad said to me, my dad said to me as we were driving in the car, Ivor, don't play games with Deirdre. If you play games with her, 
and you're not serious about committing, then within three months, you can break off this relationship, but within three months, she will have met someone else, and that guy's going to be serious. And within three months, the relationship will develop, she'll get engaged to that guy, and they'll get married. So you, you, should, you better decide what you want to do. Hmm. I'm glad I did decide. And for all my schoolmaster speech at Gehelkwe, was the oh self winner, the SMS comes through in four parts. <laughs> you remember that, Ma. But you and I are good now. <laughs> okay, and I'm so glad we got married. Otherwise, Timmy, Jen, and Nicole, you would never have been here. <laughs> so we're thankful. We're thankful. I close with a quote by Martin Luther. Don't put off till tomorrow. By delay, Hannibal lost Rome. By delay, Esau forfeited his birthright. Jesus said, you shall seek me and you shall not find. So the Bible, experience, and all creation testify that the gifts of God must be taken on the wing. Let's pray. O oh Lord our God, we thank you for your word in practical matters also. And I do pray for the young people for those who are not ready to be married, that you would help them to keep themselves pure and help us as parents to love them and protect them. And I also pray for those who are ready to be married, marriable age, that you would help them, Lord. And if they've met someone and it's not the right person, that you would help their parents to have the guts to tell them to break it off. Or for those who are ready and they've met the right person, a Christian woman, a Christian man, that you would help them to remain pure and to move forward toward marriage. And that Jesus Christ will be glorified, would be glorified through these marriages where the man loves his wife as Christ loved the church and the woman submits to her husband as the church to Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.